what it is what's up got your podcast in the cut the telesis and societal podcast and i'm going to pose this episode as if i'm trying to further test the microphone audio of the iphone that's uh the iphone 12 i think they did away with the nonsensical naming convention uh the iphone 12 see how the microphone works if it's if it's better than my airpod microphone which it should be because apple earpod earpod AirPods mic, uh, not the greatest. These are AirPods, but either way, they're not the greatest. So we'll just see how that works. But uh, the topic of today centers around the now finished uh, draft process and how it affected Auburn, or at least how Auburn affected it. And I think most people would probably agree that's been a failure. Um, but I mean, it pretty much went up to expectations for I think most reasonable Auburn fans. And I kind of don't really care about the placements of what happened more so how how did it match expectations is should this probably have been expected when we were watching the season live and seeing who was eligible to leave and who was likely to leave yada 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 uh and then finally i guess kind of just talk about how does this fit in the mode of prior and future draft success and we'll get to that after the break Okay, so it's important to recognize here when we're talking about how did I say I was going to lead off on this? I honestly, God, don't know. Listen, you guys have to understand this is one take. We don't go back, we don't change, we don't do anything. We're going to talk about, first of all, I guess, just who got placed where, who is where, where is who, now is there, here's where. <laughs> so the first guy off the board, and if you followed Mox, this guy just had the most love coming in too. Uh, the final few days of the the draft, uh, pre-draft. We have Anthony Schwartz, receiver for three years, uh, left as a junior. A lot of people were a little bit um, heartbroken that he did that, both in an emotional sense and kind of, I'm not saying this is logical to me, but just how some people viewed it in a rationale manner because of the simple fact of the matter that he was going to be able to expand his repertoire, show he could do more than... I would say the first season he was here, pretty much, I think he may have had like three or four go routes the entire, uh, well, he at least hit on about three or four go routes in 2019. For the most part, Speed Sweep got, got a couple of crossing routes and usually they were very successful. And then 2020 kind of put him onto a couple more um, with, with um, Chad Morris employed. A couple more slants, a couple more crossers. Still not as diverse as he could be, but I think Chad used him about as well as he probably should have in like your first season as your as the OC, uh, Bo being uncomfortable most of the season, pass blocking me, you know, kind of here and there. Not as bad as people made it out to be, but kind of here and there. Uh, it was just kind of it was you know he can't, and I, I don't think Chad Morris is the most like diverse route tree of all time either. And I think he kind of had to mesh with Gus's. Uh, which that's a whole other thing in of itself there talking about what Gus mandates as a as a, a head coach. But the overall premise being that Schwartz was thought of to have the opportunity to be more of a natural wide receiver. Uh, no reference to other Auburn podcasts and that. Uh, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that's an option. I think you have to look at some things like one guy pointed out on uh, aufamily.com pretty uh reputable former for form 
forum that I think shed some good football knowledge from time to time. I believe Harson only put out two receivers himself. From what, from what the guy said, two receivers himself at his Boise State stop as the head coach. So maybe that's something to consider of himself. But I know that Bobo at least employs a pretty pro-style-esque offense. So maybe that also involves pro-style routes. Usually those two things come hand-in-hand, but they're not mutually exclusive, of course. Usually the pro-style relevancy centers more around the quarterback and maybe some of the offensive like blocking schemes than it does the receivers. But again, you know, just something to keep in mind there. Uh, and yeah, so getting back to the point, Schwartz taking, was it the fourth round? Third round. Number nine, 91 overall pick in the third round. So pretty much I think that's about middle. Uh, it's 30, 60, wait. Are there more picks in the... No, it's the same amount of picks. How do... Wait, what up? Wait. Because the, the first... There's 30 teams. So, 30, 60, 90. How does he get... How do you... I don't know. Anyway, he got taken with the 91 pick, and they sent a third round on Montgomery Advertiser, so blame it on them if I'm wrong. Uh, had a very fast pro day, uh, 40-yard dash. Some people, some pundits on Twitter, uh, Lou Day's pretty much the fastest guy in the draft. I think that's... Fair to say, I believe his form his one hundred yard dash was faster than Tyreek Hill. So this is a guy that definitely has, I think, like a, a like standout skills his speed. But you only get drafted in the third round if that's all you have to offer. And I believe that he was a good interview. He seems to be a very good locker room personality. Um, speed is something that has a lot of value to people right now. And he did show some pretty decent like people don't give his hands enough credit. Like he doesn't have a crazy radius that you can throw into but like he does have pretty decent hands and has taken some really tough hits to be such a small guy and pretty much gets up most of the time usually his injuries are like kind of lower body related and not necessarily like hits so maybe that's something to keep in mind but he he also plays with a lot of tough you know injuries like ankle sprains such and and the like like that so you know that is what it is Damon Sherwood, someone who I believe impressed a lot in the like physical aspects of the of the combine and the pro day, um, kind of just like these illusions of being a linebacker on the next level. I think his actual kind of like side to side and maybe his his speed as a safety isn't where I think some people wanted to be at. But with those qualms, he got taken in the fifth round, the 446 overall pick. Uh, really just a built person. Let's see. He The Jets announced him as a linebacker. Yeah, so that pretty much went to what it was. A, a lot of people are trying to make him. I think whoever he's going to go to was looking to him to be a linebacker. And he also, like, hit the hell out of people. A very stout person. Very good run tackler. Uh, so I don't really have much to say about defensive players, much less, like, defensive backs. It's not an aspect of the game I, like, look at en- enough to really give an educated opinion on. K.J. Britt also went on the first, fifth round. Drafted by the Buccaneers, uh, another guy really good in run support. From what I remember of AU family saying about his qualms coming to the draft, just physically not where I think you want for, I believe he played middle linebacker, or that would kind of be the position you would describe as what he did uh, when he was healthy in 2019. Uh, so, you know, as a, a middle linebacker, maybe you want a more stout guy. I'm not sure. I'm not a pro of the defensive, guy, defensive side of the 
the uh, field. But Auburn did employ a lot of undersized middle linebackers in the past few years uh, that were elite on the collegiate level, but just didn't work out for whatever level, uh, whatever reason, <laughs> on the internet's level. Uh, I believe Chris Frost was also a middle linebacker. And, of course, the the great uh Deshaun Davis, I almost forgot his name for a second. He calls him like great the for the name. It's not good. But Deshaun Davis also fit the same mode as having physical injuries that or physical issues that limited his uh, chances in the next level. And then finally, Seth Williams, who I think most people consider the best college player to come out of this, to go into the draft out of, you know, what we had to offer. He unfortunately had a lot, from what I understand, a lot of interview issues. And a lot of issues with people believing that he was um, mentally ready to be an NFL player. And I'm not going to speak to any of that stuff. Like, I'm not even speaking to it like, in a, a fact of manner sense. It's just what I've seen from people reviewing the post-draft process and kind of what went into his fall. Because, I mean, he was pretty much considered one of the dark horses to be a tier one receiver coming into this season. You can find that in a lot of places. You can go on Twitter from, you know, about... What, September 2020, you'd see that people were considering that he was somebody that could really, you know, give these CB1s in the SEC challenges. And he has. I mean, he gave Sertan some problems. He gave Stingley some issues in his last appearance against him. Um, he's just somebody that, that has had success against guys that will be NFL stars for a long time. So, you know, it's. I, I don't think... Also, another another big issue was apparently like he's just not really a good, you know, in the 80s, you know, between the 20s and 20s. Uh, is that 20 plus 20 is 40. So if it, is it in the 20s or is it like, because I, I know the phrase, I believe, is in the 20s. And the way I'm thinking about that is the 10-yard line on one side and 10-yard line on the other side, which I think the red zone is, I don't know why I'm having this existential crisis right now as far as football goes, but I'm believing the red zone to be the 10 yards to get to the touchdown, which when you say the 20s, I'm also thinking like there's 80 yards between the, the two 10s. So that's the part. Anyway, the 80s, as I understand, is where he had his problems at. The guy just did not give enough effort, which I think was a problem from the jump. He did. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a prima donna thing. Like he just thought he was like God's gift to earth. And when I, when I see him yapping, I don't think he does that for that reason either I think he just gasped because he's a very uh emotionally charged person I think he does kind of he did kind of give up on plays sometimes with uh how you know bad play calling was sometimes how bad Bo was sometimes I think it's just some things that he was not willing to be he was not willing to overcompensate for as far as being a leader goes and that's some stuff that's important I mean you can't if you play with a bad quarterback you can't just be like oh I'm I'm just gonna take off because he can't get the ball to be in any kind of decent place, which is pretty much the story of South Carolina games everybody talks about. J.C. Horn did give Seth that work. That's an absolute fact. But the fact of the matter also is that Bo had the farther you got into that game, which you can probably you know maybe put this onto Chad Moore slash Gus's head too. The further you got into that game, the worse and worse Bo's passes got. He had a decent start. But it also was coinciding with an amazing like running game that kind of made it easier for him to throw the ball. Once they went pretty much all air raid, he couldn't get the ball to Seth in any kind of possible, like possibly clean way. It was all tough, tough throws. 
So, I mean, that that's something to consider there. But, you know, what can you do? So, that's a list of that off. It kind of gave my thoughts to how does this fit to pregame expectations, preseason expectations, you know, kind of along the way expectations. If you ask me preseason, like, let's say, I'm saying it's preseason. Let's say up to Kentucky, the Kentucky game, which I think ended up being kind of fool's goal for a lot of different ways, especially with the offense. Um... Schwartz, Williams, Britt, Sherwood, Stove. Oh, yeah, Stove went undrafted, but he did sign on with somebody, and I believe Jordan Peterson the same. Christian Tut did not, which I think we all expected. So let's start with the undrafted guys first, since I didn't cover them very much at all. Stove, I thought, would be able to play himself into like a sixth or seventh round mantle just because of how he did seem to be a really solid, like, crossing route type of dude. Like, Kind of like a, a more limited version of Ryan, like not 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 nearly as clean a route runner as Ryan Davis, but but being a bigger body and someone who you know towards the end was he would like take more hits and even deliver hits sometimes. Um, I thought he could play himself physically into that that you know sixth seventh round type of you know mode. He also had I think a four. Point five yard dash, which you know he's he's more of a game speed type of person, the actual like, oh look at me, I can fly type of receiver. But unfortunately, I think the injuries did not do well for him. I would contend that just about every receiver in Gus's offense probably dropped more than they should have. If you consider the fact that they like, like if you if you thought about how receivers, generally speaking, become smarter players over the, their like four years, three years for Stowe, I guess six years, something like that. I don't think many Auburn receivers get smarter. So therein lies the issue where a lot of these guys kind of don't have much to go off as far as the mental aspect of the game. Like Ryan Davis is someone with his route running ability. He should be a pretty elite, like, guy in, in terms of that skill. But he just did not have many routes he knew of. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. But Stove, I thought he had, to me, he showed flashes of a, a complete game. It just was way too sporadic. Him even getting the options to do so. Like, when you saw him without Seth, like, when Seth was out for many games, Stove was like a, a legitimate, you know, contender to be a wide receiver one in a SEC offense now what goes into that you know I'm not sure he doesn't have a crazy radius uh he's not an overly flashy route runner either he's not an incredibly athletic uh wide receiver one but he looks to be the smells that that could have been considered very solid and unfortunately it just did not work out for him in the draft but I think he will show enough on special teams and being probably like a wide receiver six or seven for a team Pretty much like where Duke was at for Buffalo two years ago. Uh, that would probably be Stove. Jordan Peters, uh, special teams standout, got onto the team as well. Touch not. I pretty much don't know much about Peters other than his special team ability. I, I think it has some value to some people, so that's probably why he got signed on. Uh, Tuck was just abysmal since that Iron Bowl two years ago. I know he was hurt. And, you know, Nickelback kind of does, like, asking Nickelback to really play man against an elite, like, receiver such as Waddle is asking for, you know, some 
things to happen that aren't exactly attractive. But uh, it was just it, it like whatever people say about J.C. Horn against Seth, you know, showing that Tut had against Waddle in that game is like fifty times worse. Maybe not fifty times worse because you don't expect that much of the Tut. And Waddle was an NFL receiver from even back then. But like he just embarrassed. Like Tut wasn't even able to stay stay with that guy at certain points in that game. It, it wasn't it wasn't good, and it just never got better from there. Uh, I don't remember the LSU game too much from that year, but I would think that. Well, they did go like what three one and eight, so he had a lot more help in that game. They pretty much had to go down like because they they weren't able to get any pressure in the Alabama game, so they had to do like four or five man boxes at times. So it was a little bit more uh, rough shed in that in that one, but. I think Tut went pretty much where you would expect. It's going to be hard for Tut to play another, like, down in football. He's going to have to work his ass off to show that. Because, I mean, his his issue with, when, you know, he left, came back, well, came out of the transfer portal, not came back, but came out of the transfer portal, then left again, yada, yada. That, that there's something there that's not good. I don't know what it is, but there's something there that is not. Uh, if Seth had character issues, I would think that whatever that was should also be considered uh, an issue. God, yo, this this Charlotte game, these women in Charlotte, yo, queens. Uh, so, so Seth, let's just, let's just speed through this and get to the, the final segment. Seth, I think I would expect him to be a mid to high second rounder guy. I kind of assumed that playing with Bo would give him some limitations on what he could show, but I thought Chad would employ a lot more things that could make him look more of a diverse receiver. I don't, I wouldn't say Chad did that very much, but I also just think that. Seth just had a, a bad showing as in many ways separation uh consistency as a you know leader consistency as a player effort I just think Seth I think the Seth in 2019 would have went higher than Seth in 2020 I legitimately believe that the, the Seth that was a sophomore that was playing with a new quarterback that largely targeted him pretty much every other play in any major game probably would have went higher than the Seth in 2021 2020 2021 I I just think so. I mean, when I saw what I saw, I, I you know, I just did not look like the same guy at times. And we wanted to be that dude, you know, Ole Miss, mm, you know, an A&M game, sometimes an Alabama game. We did have, a, I think, a pretty bad drop in that game. Um, he could do it, but it just wasn't consistent. So I would have said second round. Schwartz, I would have probably said mid to late third just because I didn't think he'd be able to show – like, the blocking aspect, I didn't think he'd be all right in that. I thought he'd still be pretty bad in that. He, he showed a lot of ferocity in blocking. So, that's kind of what helped him out, I suppose. Um, I thought he'd get the chance to be kind of a more, like, like an actual wide receiver, too. Like, a diverse, pretty much just as diverse in his route tree as Seth. And I don't believe that's what happened. Well, I think he was more diverse than he was on the Gus, but definitely not a wide receiver, two level of diversity, unfortunately. But it worked out for him because he pretty much worked where I thought he would go anyway. Uh, Britt, I thought Britt would be able to play an entire season, so take that what you may. But I've heard he'd probably give himself like a sixth round type of spot. Maybe fifth, I, I, would, I would say fifth round. Uh, it's just, you know, after Papo and McLean, I think some of our other linebackers have just been really good college guys that don't look like necessarily elite NFL dudes, right? And I think Papa was going first round, nothing like serious happens in terms of injuries. He's just a transcendent physical talent uh, that can probably play 
three positions minimum in the NFL. Uh, McLean will probably have his, like, he's going to need a good showing, uh, you know, have the mental acuity of someone like Britt or Deshaun Davis. But I think he has definitely potential to be uh, a high day two guy, like a third round type of guy. I think it's definitely in his possibility. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be, you know, you can't just rest in laurels. He definitely can't just. He's 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 been a good college player at this point, but he has to keep on improving. Sherwood, you know, the safety play we have here would always kind of. At least I'm thinking 2019, where I was kind of a little bit more familiar and actually just care a little bit more about Auburn football. Sherwood was not a problem. Like I think Sherwood and Smoke was a very good safety duo. I think any combination of safeties that didn't involve Daniel Thomas was <laughs> was usually. Pretty- Daniel Thomas uh, was usually pretty decent, but then Thomas like made a lot of haters eat like eat their words. Like this dude is actually an NFL contributor. He just did not look like that at times that 2019 season. Uh, so yeah, that's that. That's my thoughts on these guys, their value kind of before the draft, up until the draft, yada yada. I think this is pretty much where I expected things to be at. I did, we just did not have a very good season. We didn't have a lot of good showings in many positions outside of running back. Uh, I, I Relatively speaking, maybe tight end. I mean, depends on how much you put into that. Actually, probably disappointing, too, because Chad Morris is supposed to be like this tight end guru. So that's probably disappointing, too. Uh, defensive. You can't even say defensive tackles. No defensive line uh, stable really did much of, of value. Uh, linebackers did fine, I would say. You know, maybe they could have been a little bit better, but I mean, they just had like almost zero depth the entire season. So, what can you do about that? Uh, defensive backs, not great. So, pretty much running backs. Pretty much Tank and Chivers did well. And then the kickers, they did, you know, pretty well too. Let's go on to how this fits in the, the general mode of recent past and recent future. let's finish strong here so thinking about the recent draft history I think to a certain part where Auburn seemed like a very talented squad in terms of recruiting now is it a massive jump between the first half of Gus's tenure and the second half probably not but I think that most people consider this area around the time where things are really picking up in terms of Maybe the skill position dudes. I, I, there's still something to be said for you know lacking a defensive end sometimes, uh, lacking at certain cornerback spots uh, or defensive back spots, and then these kind of overblown quarterback, you know, high school players that never panned out. But I think that most people consider 2016 to 2017 as far as recruiting went about the time that Gus really got into his own as the head coach. If you look at the 2017 draft, Mon Adams, Carl Lawson, Rudy Ford, Joshua Hosey. I believe Lawson was a senior. I believe Mon was in the same class as Lawson, so he's also a senior, I believe. Uh, he did one more year because he did not get hurt. Uh, Rudy Ford was a senior, and Joshua Hosey, I believe, also was a senior. These should have all been the absolute last of Chiswick's recruiting class. 
but they might have lost him in Gus's first. I'm trying to think. If Lawson left in the 2016-17 season, uh, as a four-year player, that would have 2012-2013. So I guess that would pretty much be the carry between Chiswick's class and Gus's first class. So pretty much about, like, you would consider, like, a, a blend of both, that recruiting class there. And you go from there to the first kind of, like, truly Gus guys, 2018, Braden Smith, Carrion Johnson, Carlton Davis, Daniel Carson. This is pretty much you get to, you know, Gus. Three second-rounder guys, one pretty much was right outside of the first round, and a fifth-rounder guy in Carlson who, you know, was pretty much one of the four best kickers for the past, the last three years of his tenure there, but just never able to get that uh, Lou, Lou, Lou Groza, Lou Groza award. And then this is where you kind of got into, I think, the part you would say Gus really putting out NFL potential guys, but maybe not necessarily NFL stars. Because 2019, they broke, I believe, the record for Arwen draftees, which was five, if I remember correctly. It would have to get them. It was a set, so they broke it. Anyway, this these damn Starbucks frappuccinos really fuck you up, dude. I'm like, I'm just like trying to hold down these burps a little bit. Jamel Dean, who came in as a pretty heralded uh, defensive back, had some injury problems before, and maybe that played into you know him dropping a little bit. Jared Stidham, who I think most people consider a pretty big disappointment in terms of development by the previous regime. Slayton. Kind of the same way, but he did seem like someone has more of a one-trick pony here. Again, maybe because of the scheme, you know, what can you do about that? But he did fight against that paradigm. And if you ask a lot of offensive players that have been in the draft recently, he shifted it, gave him more of a chance to get drafted. So shout out to Darius Slayton. Sean Davis got a chance. Very hard worker. Uh, Chandler Cox got taken as a, I guess as a running back. He was, you know, a fullback here, but... And then Dontavious Russell was taking one of the absolute last possible picks in the draft. That's in the seventh round. So that's three. That's six draftees, which broke the mold for, you know, the record was five. And he had, I think, two guys get taken in the, the, um, the, the, un, the UDFA process, undrafted for agent. And they matched that record the next year. I would say this is pretty much the cream of the crop. Uh, Derek Brown, Noah Monogany, Marlon Davidson, Jack Driscoll. That's three guys in the first 47 uh, picks, which is pretty much probably the best since, I would think, 2005. Let's see. 2005, yeah. So it's pretty much the best of 2005. Uh, Jack Driscoll went to a pretty good spot. Daniel Thomas, Prince Tego, and Nogo. So six guys in the first six rounds. I believe they also had about two UDFAs, so pretty good round again. I just think that when people say, like, this is a really, really, like, bad draft for Gus, there's no hiding that it was, but it's, like, a lot of the the upper-class talent from that core, like, I would consider, like, pretty much everybody in this core from that 20, I don't know, 19 team that, you know, won 10 games, pretty much most of the talented guys from that team, like, we're either mad young or like we're, we're gone like just we're not draft eligible or we're like already gone and I'm, I'm thinking about that team like okay so on 
this this does fall in the head coach. You know, listen, like when you don't have offensive diversity, even with how you're recruiting, then that is on you in terms of like definitely stuff like that. But Whitlow transferred, uh, Malik Miller transferred, whoever else was a running back in that, that period of time transferred. Pretty much everybody except Shy was transferred that running back uh, core. And then Barrett, who might have been already a defensive back at this point, you know, he's now a, defensive, a running back again, but he wasn't part of that, that room at that moment. Uh, receivers, I think, I think NCM quit early in that season. If I remember correctly, or it's twenty eighteen, but pretty much was done by this point. So it was Seth, it was Schwartz, it was Stove. Uh, yeah, it's, I think NCM was on that team for a little bit. Uh, Harold Joyner, that was his last year there. He left early twenty twenty. Uh, he would, he wasn't receiver, but you know, you get what I mean. Tight ends, most of the tight ends were not seen draft eligible at any point, or like draft like worked at any point, but I mean against the scheme. Uh, quarterbacks 2019, you had you had Bo, you had Gatewood for half a season. And what's his name? Uh Malik Willis shut it down like before the season and transferred out. I think Malik Willis will probably be a draft prospect going into next season. Uh, how high, I'm not sure, but I think he'll at least be like maybe like a fifth round type of dude if he continues progressing. All right, let's see. Offensive line, I can't even like, I don't even want to think about offensive line. I, I really don't. Uh, <laughs> defensive line, obviously, the defensive line guys left. Defensive uh, backs, I mean, a lot of those guys were like new at that moment. And then pretty much the only guy that carried over from, you know, the, the Dean, I think Roger McCurry played with the, the Dean Carlson Davis team. I want to say he did, but. It would be really tough for me to... Because, I mean, like... Dean left in 2019. And... Dale Thomas... I mean, not Dale Thomas. Uh, McCreary is now a senior, so... 20... So, 2020. This He was a junior in 2020. A freshman in 2019. So, I guess it wouldn't have lined up for him to play with those guys either, but... Maybe he's a red shirt. I'm not sure. <laughs> if he's a red shirt, he could have played one year with them. I feel like I want to say that he played with those guys at some point. But the defensive back talents a lot are pretty raw after having all those starters go to the NFL. The linebackers are probably the most experienced group and having the most experienced group for a minute. So that's been safe. But the point being is that this team did not feel like a team that should have been expected to have a ton of draftees. I mean, pretty much the expectation was that most of this team – the guys who left, like Schwartz and Seth, were expected to come back again for next season. And then with the ruling on the whole, you know, um, NF, like the, the one-time transfer and, and the um, the free, basically free year, it's kind of expected that you know Stove might come back too. And we'd have pretty much 2022 would be the main like bend or break season. Now with how bad 2020 was, they did what they felt they had to do. So you know. A lot of them do whatever they want to do. It's their money. But I just never expected there to be a ton of draftees coming out of this cycle. So it kind of, I don't know, perturbs me that people were really mad about I mean, okay, it's a disappointment. I get it. Like, elite teams don't have, like, a potential year where you have less than, like, if, if those guys did come back, we have maybe two draftees, you know? So elite teams don't have that. That doesn't happen. But. At the same time, it's like 
if you if you looked at Gus's consistency, he pretty much put about four point one guys into the draft every season since 2013. I think that's about where you would see Armin typically at in the, the the draft process. Maybe a couple more of like day one guys, but Gus has also put out a lot of UDFA. So it's like, it kind of rounds out like that. I, th- I think Gus has put out about as much talent as you would normally have any other coach that's considered a, a top-end Auburn coach put out. But I think the, the day one, lack of day one talent as of late, because he only put out, in the last three drafts, he only put out three day one guys, and that was all in the same draft. But, you know, what can you do? As far as the future goes, how much... I don't think there's a ton of draft talent other than that season either. Like, 2022, now to think about it, uh, Bo have, would have to be, have a Heisman season to go out there. Uh, Tank has another season he has to wait out. Shivers, it would be as good as Shivers should be in this new scheme. How, how do you have a 5'8 guy go much higher than, like, maybe the fifth round? Like, in today's game, where you have, like, Sits two stallions paws going out there like you know in, in abundance it's hard for me to see like a shivers who maybe is able to show he could do pretty much everything on the, the you know the floor um the field but i just don't know why you would take him much higher than like a day a midday two type of dude at, at absolute best like midday two uh offensive line just not a ton of dudes that it's going to be showing improved offensive line in my opinion a tight end, Shanker, could look like a, a draft-eligible dude. I would think probably f- fifth round. That would, that would be where I'd place him at. Defensive line, there's a couple dudes that could really have a good ass showing and maybe go out there. McCurry should be a day, very high day two type of dude. Uh, Papo could leave. I think it depends on some things to break out, but he could leave. I think Zacoby, 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 oh my God, fuck me. Zacoby McClain will go. I, mean, I think he's literally a senior. Um, I would say day three. There, there should be a lot of like day three dudes, maybe. If Danes break right, there should be some day, like probably three or four day three dudes. But actual day one talent, there's not many I could think of off the top of my head other than Papo. And he might, he, even though I say he's going to be a very talented dude, he's going to go whenever he wants to go. Going as a junior linebacker takes a pretty special year. So that's something to consider. He's a junior, right? 2019, 2020. Yeah, he's a junior. So it takes a really special year. McCreary, I think, is probably the best day one talent on this team. And even him, he, he needs a better showing than he did last year. He wasn't bad last year, but he wasn't what I think many people consider to be, which is pretty much the Nets. Epinogany or, you know, Carlton Davis, uh, a lockdown one-on-one isolation uh, cover, which he kind of was as a number two guy in, you know, pre-preceded season, but not as the number one dude, in my opinion, but we'll see. That's it for me. Uh, This is a very long recording, but there's a lot of things to talk about. Hope you enjoyed to some degree. Uh, If you didn't, you know, just tell me to shut up next time. Peace.